0: Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we're going to look at the readings for the second Sunday after Pentecost. And if you'd like to listen to all the readings, you can do so by listening to the readings podcast that was dropped previous to this one. Vicar, right off the bat, I'm going to put you on the spot. Why is it the second Sunday after Pentecost and not the first Sunday after the Trinity? Uh... I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't know. I Because I know um, we follow the three-year lectionary, mm-hmm. and so we call it the second Sunday after Pentecost, because last week we celebrated the Feast of Holy Trinity. But in the one-year lectionary, this is the first Sunday after Holy Trinity.
1: I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know anything about the one-year lectionary. Okay. That's a whole different animal. <laughs>
0: Well, dear listener, if you know anything, please feel free to email us. It is a true curiosity. okay, I'm curious. Vickers over there just with a big grin saying, "Uh-huh,, mm-hmm. yep, So the readings after for the second Sunday after Pentecost uh. We actually have a very eventful reading. Wait, and I have an answer for you. You do. Okay. I just thought
1: about it. Okay. <laughs> because Pentecost is the season of the church year.
0: Ooh, okay? okay. And
1: and uh, Holy Trinity is just a. Is it a feast day or a festival? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's my answer. Because I like Ho- that. Holy Trinity is just a a celebration that falls in the season of Pentecost, and Pentecost is the season of the church that we're in.
0: Okay, I like. I, I
1: I'll like email that. you. That answer
0: I appreciate it'll I'll claim it as if I
1: knew it before too it might not be right so you can claim it if you want
0: It sounds good I like it well going to our readings um, the gospel lesson according to St. Luke chapter 8, I think it's interesting because again we have the big event of Pentecost. Uh, The Holy Spirit is given. Then we celebrate the Holy Trinity, specifically with Jesus being present and where Jesus is, there is also God the Father. And we only know this because the Holy Spirit reveals this to us. And then we jump right into the ministry work of Jesus. We get Jesus doing stuff. In the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 8, we have Jesus going to it. Uh, opposite of Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, he is in a cemetery and he's met by a man from the city who had a demon. For a long time, he wore no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and said with a loud voice, and I think it's interesting right here, and we, we can deal with it later, He said, not they said. He said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torture me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, it being the demon's, uh, seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Okay, so stopping here real quick. Jesus minding his own business. It was nice uh, pleasure cruise on the boat. This was actually after the calming of the storm, so he just got done doing a miracle, and he gets out and he's met. He's met by a man obviously demon possessed and he's in a cemetery, and I think that is interesting. So this man doesn't live in a house, he doesn't wear clothes, he's not living as a normal person, he's isolated, he's not part of a community. One of the questions I have, and it's just a big general question, how much does his community, his family, and I don't want to throw his family under the bus, I'm really sure they just couldn't deal with him, they couldn't keep him dressed. They couldn't keep him bound when they locked him up. Um, was he forsaken? Was he forgotten? Was he just go away and leave us alone?
1: I'm willing to throw his family under the bus <laughs> a little bit because, okay. as you said, they they don't know what to do with this right. guy anymore.
0: And um, I don't mean it in a bad way. They just this is beyond their their scope of anything that they can deal with.
1: They don't have the capacity to right. deal with him. I mean, they, it, it's even mentioned here that they have to put him in shackles and chains and he still breaks free from those right. and still runs around naked and, and harasses people and is doing all these different things. Uh, so with that, uh, he is kind of, I, I would say, forsaken and, and not you know, without regret, I'm sure, by his family, but forsaken and he, he lives out in the tombs, which in, it of, in and of itself is kind of an interesting thing now uh, Jesus here, they're kind of in this area that is that is not Jewish, right? Yeah. Um, so we we know this is a Gentile area. But if this were a Jewish area, someone living among the dead itself is is kind of that would be kind of scandalous, um, yes. because the 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 place where dead people are kept would kind of make one unclean in Jewish thinking. So that in itself is kind of throw, throwing this guy out of the community, uh, and I think you know, by his own volition under demon possession, he's Mm -hmm. going to live in the tombs. Uh, So in that way, he really is very isolated.
0: Well, and not only that, but I I like the idea, the the imagery that, um, as you said, he's living among the tombs. He's living among the dead, literally as one of them. He's dead to the community. They don't deal with him. They don't, you know, and to what extent, I I don't know, but— They they can't deal with him. And so the next big thing that comes about is when the demon sees Jesus, he cries out, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. This is a confession. This is a statement. Why is it that the demons get who Jesus is and nobody else does?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Uh, We see time and again that there's this recognition Mm -hmm. by demons uh, of who Jesus is, in this case, really uh, of Jesus' divinity, the Son of the Most High God, um, that that humans don't get early on in Jesus' ministry. And so there's this disconnect between kind of that, and I don't know where you go with this, between the the natural and the supernatural, if you want to go that way of thinking, or just the the spiritual powers that exist uh, that we can't see. But in some way, these demons recognize who Jesus is in his true form, uh, oh, yeah. being the Son of God.
0: Uh, I just think it's utterly amazing that They make this statement. It's not a confession. I I, I misspoke. Um, It's a statement. They're stating a fact. They're not confessing Jesus as Lord or as God. They're stating a fact. As you said, they see and recognize who he is specifically in his divinity, which also points to his power. And they are scared. What do you have to do with us? We beg you, do not torment me. And that's a huge statement too. They know their place in the presence of God. And um, I, that, that just blows my mind. Because, of course, when I think of demons, you know, demons are scary, they're powerful, they're they're out to get me, get us, turn us away from uh, God and Christ. And they quake before Jesus. I think that's huge. And, and it's, Truly exciting because uh, just to take this one step further, you've been baptized into Jesus. You've been baptized into his work, his salvation, his name. And so the very name that they quake at, that name is placed upon you. And this is really a, a statement of comfort that we get to know that we are free from the demons just as they are afraid of who and what Jesus has done for you, to you, and continues to do. So I like that, and again, just that, that immediate application. And the bigger
1: uh, context here, too, I think it's St. Paul who talks about, you know, the enemies we wrestle with are not of flesh and blood, right. but, yeah. you know, this this idea of demons is is kind of scary when you first think of it, because mm-hmm. we don't like to think well, about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no wimp, okay, Pastor? I'm no wimp, but there's one category of movies that I will refuse to watch— and it's anything with demon possession, because it just, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Oh, yeah. uh, and in part, because I know that kind of stuff is real, mm-hmm. can be very real. And so anything with exorcisms or anything like that, I do not like to see. No, I'm, I'm with you. Because it's confronting this spiritual warfare that, that's present in our world that we don't always think about. Um, so with that, it's, it's kind of this, it's a little scary, but as you said, there's a big word you mentioned there, Uh, comfort, the comfort that we live in Christ uh, and we have the Holy Spirit to help uh, and fight off all these Mm spiritual—the spiritual warfare that that exists.
0: Absolutely. Well, going back to the text, we we have Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him, and they—and I think it's interesting that at uh, verse 31— The I, the me, changes into they. So, just interesting, uh, pointless, but interesting. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So, he gave them permission. Then the demons, and notice there's the plural, demons. It's no longer the demon. Uh, demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So, we got some more interesting things happening. So, the naked, demon possessed man is cleansed, exercised, uh, and the demons, legion, make a request of Jesus. Now, before we push record, I, I asked you, and I, I still don't have an answer, and I know you don't. But why does Jesus give permission? Why, why does he seem to show mercy to the demons? Why doesn't he just really exercise? No, you're, you are truly for you are truly the forsaken and damned. No, I will not give you any leniency. And that's well within his right, and it wouldn't be mean. It wouldn't be wrong. You know.
1: I like how you said you you knew I didn't have an answer, but then you asked me anyways. That's real nice. Um, No, (laughs) I'm going to go kind of out in left left field here, but I'm going to go maybe for the sake of the man uh, to know, to be able to see that the demons have left... Uh, and there's this physical, uh, I don't know if manifestation yeah. is the right word, but this physical embodying of the demons. The mm-hmm. demons go into something, the pigs, and then are cast over the the cliff. So maybe, and again, I said that's out of left field, sure. this is just me speculating, but maybe for the sake of uh, the man here, to understand what has taken place, uh, to know for sure. So it's kind of like um, when, if you do private confession and absolution with someone, mm-hmm. um, you usually, uh, put a hand on their shoulder or something. How do you? Head. On their head. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, why do you do that?
0: Well, it's to connect them to the office of the ministry, to, to make a connection.
1: Okay. To, to make a connection. And I've kind of heard it explained too, to eliminate any doubt that you're talking to someone else. Right. I am talking to you. Right. That's why my hand <laughs> yeah. is on you. So maybe... Speculating, no, I, maybe there's something to uh, for the benefit of the man to now know he is free of yeah. these demons. That's my guess.
0: So I, I like that, and let me go a little <clears throat> bit further uh, with that. Um, so you have, well, I really like that because of the the physical manifestation, and I think that will actually come out bigger uh, in the the second part of the text. Um, the unclean pigs. The the swine, whatever you want to call, the unclean spirit goes into the unclean animal, and they die. I like the idea that this man was living amongst the tombs, amongst the dead, because that's what the unclean spirits will lead him to, ultimate death. And where do the spirits end up? In the dying pigs, the unclean pigs, the unclean animals. Uh uncleanness, unclean life, unclean words, unclean whatever, uh, whatever makes us unclean separates us from God. And I really like the imagery you just painted and the whole idea that the unclean spirit leaves this man, goes into the unclean animals, and where do they go? They die. They they run off the cliff. And I I really like that, that picture you just painted. Now he really is free. Everything unclean from him is cast out. Um, I know he's a Gentile, and he, I don't know how much he understands uh, ritual uh, and ceremonial cleanliness, and you know so on and so forth. But Jesus shows up and literally cleans up, and I really like that because when we move into the second part, starting on thirty-four, when the herdsmen saw, saw. What had happened? They fled and told in the city and in the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom from whom the demons, demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right man, mind, and they were afraid. So, I want to stop there. They're afraid. So, naked Jim now has clothes on. And is in the right mind, and in his right mind. Why would this be scary? Wouldn't this be a moment of rejoicing? We know we no longer have to call Jim naked Jim. We we get to receive him back.
1: It's interesting that the the demon possession and the crazy thing this guy things that this guy was probably doing didn't bother him right didn' didn't, exactly. didn't scare him yeah. perhaps they had grown used to uh everything that he would do living out in the in the tombs all that kind of good stuff but then something happens and I think the fear comes in because something has changed yes and it's something very drastic uh, which to me kind of proves the the validity of this demon possession because everyone in town these herdsmen they knew this guy was possessed mm-hmm. it wasn't like, You know, he was claiming to be possessed, and okay, yeah, sure you are, whatever. No, they knew he was possessed. He would break out of chains and run around.
0: Yeah, do do unnatural things.
1: Yes, and here they have a change from something unnatural to now something normal. Yes. And that's only done by someone who does unnatural things namely Jesus. So here with Jesus casting out these demons, something unnatural has taken place, and it's, a, it's like they don't know how to process that, or they don't want to process that, or maybe they're thinking this guy who just shows up, this guy has some power mm-hmm. that we can't control, and that is freaky.
0: I, I think you hit the nail on the head. They're out of control, or not out of control. They are not in control they can't comprehend, they don't know, and they don't know what to do with it. And by nature, we don't like what we can't control, we don't like what we can't understand, and we don't we simply don't like the unknown. They knew that this guy was demon-possessed and he did all those crazy things, but he did them over there and I didn't have to directly deal with them and you know, so on and so forth. And Jesus changes that. And I like what you said. Drastically changes that. Uh, something that's unnatural changed by somebody who is not natural, Jesus, to the true natural state. And it's met with opposition. I think that's just fascinating on so many levels. And then those who had seen it told them how the demon possessed man had been healed. Then all. All the people of the surrounding country of the Garnisons asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with a great fear. So he got in the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So much is happening. So, again, I I think you made a really great point, uh, this man doing unnatural things is now made normal. Everybody's scared. But one of the things that, that comes out that is fascinating, the herdsmen, the crowd, the, the country folk, what everybody that shows up, they're upset with not what they heard, the words of Jesus, but what they see. They are seeing the miraculous application of God's word, and they don't like it. What they see and what they actually now have to deal with. They have to deal with this man being in his right mind, wearing clothes, and speaking God's word, and being the living example of this is what God does. He makes what's wrong right. He heals what is broken. And I I think it's really interesting that they're upset with what they see.
1: And I think with that, there's this this disruption uh, to the status quo, Yeah. uh, because as we kind of mentioned, they've probably gotten used to this demon-possessed man, and he's over there doing his thing, but we're just living our normal lives. And then all of that changes, and so there's this disruption, um, and they can't— to push what you're saying they can't unsee that yeah there's no way they can ignore what they just saw and what strikes me as as particularly amazing is they've they've just gotten a glimpse of the power of Jesus okay so before this you mentioned earlier in the podcast that uh, right before this in Mark in Luke chapter 8 wrong gospel in Luke chapter 8 Jesus calms the storm mm-hmm. so you see his power on display doing something to control the weather, yeah, and there's his power, and then here he shows up and he's controlling demons by casting out the the demons of this man, and then after this, his power is going to be on display even more in Luke chapter eight, because right after this, we get the story of Jesus healing the woman mm-hmm. um, and raising Jairus's daughter. So all of this is going to be on display, and of course, these people here in attendance don't. They don't see those other three, but we as readers can connect the dots here and see that this is the power of only someone who can be God, controlling nature, uh, spiritual things like demons, and then also disease and death. And this is the only one who can do this. And for a lot of people, not just these people here, but other people who see the things and the power uh, of Jesus... They don't know how to react, or if they do react, they don't react kindly. Yeah. Because this is something different. This is someone, as you said, we cannot control. And if he has this kind of power and authority, what are we going to do with that? What is he going to do? And so it's kind of a big question mark for everybody.
0: So what do we do with this text? Is this just a nice story showing Jesus being compassionate to this one guy, exercising his divinity to the Gentiles? What do we do, especially in Pentecost? Because Pentecost is the giving of the Holy Spirit to see Jesus in his work within the church for the growth of the church, the growth of the kingdom. What do we do with this text?
1: One thing you could do is look at the very end, uh, mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to me as you read the story, and, oh, Jesus casts out the demons, and he Yay heals this Jesus. guy. Yay, Jesus. And then you would, you would expect Jesus to say, okay, now come and follow me. Yeah. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he said, the guy wants to come with him, and Jesus says, nope, you're going to stay here. I want you to go home and tell everyone what God has done for you. And so in that way, he is sent to preach the news of Jesus, mm-hmm. to proclaim uh, the gospel in this, in this form, the, the healing gospel. Um, and he's supposed to go home and do that. And it's interesting also because, as we mentioned earlier, this is a Gentile area. So now you have this guy who's going to go home, which is, I mean, he probably has to renormalize to what home even is, mm-hmm. but he goes home and he's going to be telling everyone of this Jesus of Nazareth and what he did and the power that he possesses. And so, in that way, you do kind of have the, the proclaiming of the gospel, the spread of the gospel, even going out to the Gentile nations, um, which, as I've mentioned before, is really good news for us because we're Gentiles, yep. we're not Jewish. Um, so, in that way, I think there's a little Pentecost connection, especially at the end of this, this text, where the man is supposed to go home and proclaim.
0: So, uh, I absolutely, 100% agree. I want to take it a step further. And... Uh, kind of the application, what has Jesus done for you? And I don't want this to be like a checklist or, oh, yeah, Jesus loves me. But especially when we come to the divine service, we begin the divine service with confession and absolution. You hear the words of holy absolution. Your sins are forgiven. You are restored into Christ uh, through the pronouncement, your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And then we begin our worship. We begin in the right relationship with God. But it doesn't end at the benediction. You take that relationship, you take that work, and then you live it out. And I I like what you said uh, about the demon-possessed man going back to his home, his family. He has to re-establish, re-normalize, whatever, uh, the whole idea that you've been made new, whole, forgiven, and you go back out into the world to do exactly what uh, Jesus tells this man to do. Uh, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Your sins are forgiven. You hear the preaching of God's law, but God's gospel. And um, he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus has done for him. And I really like that because that's a sanctified life. Uh, Jesus has really brought this man into his life. Now go and give that to others through what you say, what you do. And I think that's interesting because— People are afraid because they saw what Jesus did, and we should live so boldly that other people see what Jesus has done for us. We've been rescued from the, the death. We've been uh, rescued from our sin. We've been rescued from our hell, and we get to really go and live that out in a Pentecostal way, not in the Holy Roller way, but Pentecostal way in the sense of the Holy Spirit has revealed Jesus. And through our life, work, and words, we too get to continue to proclaim how much Jesus has done for us. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding With Get Right for Sunday, would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.